Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. breastfeeding mothers, a lot gets placed on them and it all becomes mom's responsibility. But if it can be shared, it makes it a lot easier for both parents. If they both approach it um, systematically, then dad can address those issues. If it's a feeding issue, bring it to mom. Mom feeds, gives it back to dad. Dad can put the baby back to sleep. And both parents can go back to sleep a lot quicker than when it's one parent or the other. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast, a show all about relationships, relationships to your family, to your money, to your community, uh, to each other, and everything in between. This is a show all about love and money. This is Building Us. Hey, I'm Dr. Matt Morris, couples counselor and family therapist, joined as always by my co-host, certified financial planner, and you have some new letters behind your name, Eric Garcia. I, I knew I, I was starting to feel inferior. All the guests you bring on the show are are like doctors, and they have all these fancy letters behind their names. So I felt like I needed to go add some uh, you get, some credentials. You got some new ones for twenty twenty one. So congratulations, did, man! Twenty twenty one. It's the behavioral financial advisor designation. Basically, what it recognizes that in in making financial decisions. Uh, the, the technical side of money is important, but as important are behaviors and how people make decisions. So the idea is to to really understand the emotions behind making good financial mm. decisions. That's about. I've been hanging around with with counselors and I don't know all the psychiatrists yeah. that you bring on the on the show. We don't always so, act rationally. You mean sometimes we act emotionally. Sometimes we just we do feel like doing. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the models that we use to to analyze the stock market are based on on the fact that humans act rationally and they don't. So. Uh, it's cool, but we're not here to talk about that today. We actually have a really interesting guest today. When you first introduced this this con- this type this topic to me, I was really excited because you said we're going to bring a sleep specialist on the phone. And I'm like, I'm on the phone on the podcast, and I was like, oh, sleep, it's perfect. And you're like, yeah, but she's a pediatrician, so she doesn't work with big big people I bet like she, us. I bet she knows a lot about a lot of stuff, including how to get kids to sleep and how to help adults with their sleep. I bet she sleeps. So, yeah, I mean. I think it's a very human thing to sleep. So anyway, let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. She's a pediatrician, public health specialist, and board certified sleep expert, Dr. Nilong Viez. Uh, you know, getting your baby to sleep is one of the most controversial, contradictory, and confusing aspects of parenting. And Dr. Viez takes uh, people's personal parenting goals into consideration when she formulates a plan for people's families. Um, so... She's controversial. I don't know if you remember this when you were parenting young children. There's so many different different topics or different styles, or or it's almost like getting into a political discussion about people's views on on getting kids to sleep. But she's knowledgeable on all those different um, approaches, and more importantly, she has a pediatric medical knowledge base, and her patients and clients love their sleep doctor because she considers everything when giving advice. And knowing that sleep is not a solitary issue, but intimately involved with the child's diet, development, day-to-day schedule, and holistic well-being, I am excited to introduce to you Dr. Nilong 
VS. Hey, doctor, how are you? Hey, guys, how are you? So happy to be here. Thanks for joining. Did I miss anything? Well, you, she also owns a, a really interesting sleep consulting practice. Say something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called Sleepless and NOLA. It's a sleep consulting service where I teach uh, parents how to get their kids sleeping through the night in a gentle and safe manner. Wow. I bet people no, love that. I bet, I bet I gave your card to somebody just the other day because they needed to get their child sleeping in a safe and gentle manner. <laughs> Thank you. Now, what's interesting about this topic, I remember when our first was born 16, almost 17 years ago. Um, and he had, he had severe food allergies that we did not know about early on. So like we never, we never slept, but my wife and I were watching the news one night and there was a study that was being cited by one of the Ivy league schools. And, and basically the research said that new parents on average lose, I think like eight or nine IQ points after their first is born. And we kind of looked at each other like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> our kids are, are making us stupider. I mean, they're robbing us of intelligence. And I have to imagine that's due to the lack of sleep somehow, some way. Absolutely. That the, that the parents are, are, are missing out on. Does your IQ go back up after you've had them for a while and you rest a little bit? Or you just diminish for the rest of your life? I think it's the latter. No, I'm just kidding. I think, um, well, you know, research says that you can't really uh, reclaim sleep debt once it's lost, it's lost. But I think um, you can't get it back, but you can have good habits moving forward so that um, you do retain or regain some of that, that IQ that was lost, especially in pregnancy. Mm. You've heard of that term, pregnancy brain. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's the hormones yeah. and the lack of sleep that, that can impact the way your brain functions and the way you think, but it, it's all regainable. Are they, are they similar pregnancy brain and, and lack of sleep brain, you know, the, there's a fog that goes along with that. Is that are those similar concepts? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's the same sort of, I think with pregnancy, it's more hormonally based and with um, newborns that aren't sleeping, it's more, um, it's hormonally and chemically based as well, but more as a result of um, actually physically not sleeping and the stress that's involved with waking up. When you're waking up with a baby crying overnight, the cortisol levels go up. There's increased stress uh, hormones, and uh, it impacts the way um, parents sleep. Now, are we talking about the sleep habits of the baby, or are those that's what happened to the parents? It's what happens or to both. the parents as a similar? result of the baby not sleeping well. It's kind of like a missile attack in your bedroom. You know, you just <laughs> don't go back to sleep well. It's, it's and, like the fire alarm going off in your house. And. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has made new recommendations that the infant should stay in the room with the parents for at least the first six months, if not the full year. So when a baby is that close to you, uh, right next to your bed, waking up crying, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, you have this sort of fight or flight response of, I need to, you know, stop this crying, I need to do what I need to do to stop this crying. Mm -hmm. So um, it is, especially for women, it is a, a stress response. Um, like, what do I need to do to stop this baby from crying? Um, and it, it becomes this immediate response. And typically, most mothers will resort to feeding as the first response. If the baby's waking up, must be hungry. And a lot of times I'll tell parents, 
it's even though the AAP has this recommendation, um, if the dad can sleep in the room with the baby instead of the mom, the dads typically don't hear the the cry. They'll hear the crying once it's full on crying, but it's the little uh -uh kind of noises that newborns make. Um, the dads don't tend to hear all of that, but moms hear that instantaneously are looking over the crib or the bassinet, like what's going on? Is the baby awake? Is it breathing? Is it not breathing? What, what are these noises? And they respond in this sort of stress response, but dads don't hear it as much. But once the baby's like full on crying, they'll hear it and they can respond and then go get the mom if the mm. mom needs to feed. Interesting. So you're suggesting that mom sleep in the, the spare bedroom and dad sleep with the kids. For the first couple that's like counter, that's like counterintuitive right there. It's countercultural, right? Everyone's like, oh, mom's got to take care of the kid because I mean, she's the one who has to feed it. She's the one who has to nurture it, right? Dads, we're not nurturers, right? Yeah. But if the dad gets involved and um, says, okay, I hear the baby's crying. Let me go through the sort of checklist of what needs to happen to take care of this baby. Are they waking up because they're wet? Are they waking up because they're dirty? Are they too hot, too cold? Did they get unswaddled? Um, is their leg sticking out of the crib like, you know, crib slats? So what's the reason? And dad can um, take a look at that and, and decide what it is that needs to happen. And if it is a feeding issue, then bring it to the, the baby, to the mom, and the mom can nurse. Um, and then the dad can take the baby back, change its diaper, and put it back to sleep. Where, so both parents are involved and they're participating in the care of the child overnight, especially in the first few months when it's pretty stressful. And a lot of it does get put on the mom. I, I have a feeling, I, I have a feeling like you're blowing some people's minds in, in thinking about this, uh, both parents parenting in the middle of the night thing, because it's often portrayed as it's, it's your shift or it's my shift or it's one parent's night or the other's night, or it's just her night. I mean, she, she's the mom, so she can do it all. And, and I, I bet what you're saying and what people are probably hearing is, um, going to get you a few more calls. I mean, this is, this is, I, I'm sure that women love to hear this as they should. It, it just, um, I love this idea of co-parenting even from birth. Yeah, and especially for breastfeeding mothers, a lot gets placed on them. And the dads sort of are hands off, like, I don't know what to do. I can't feed them. So it's it all becomes mom's responsibility. But if it um, can be shared, it makes it a lot easier for both parents. And then some parents will say, well, why do we both have to be up in the middle of the night? If there's shift, you know, then mom can sleep for one shift and dad can sleep for one shift. But it's easier um, for dads to go back to sleep when a baby wakes up crying. They they attack it very systematically and analytically and like, okay, there's a wet diaper, change the diaper, put the baby back to bed. Moms are like, well, what could be wrong? You know, there's a litany of issues that kind of come up in the mom's head of what could be wrong. Why is the baby waking besides the, you know, let's just address the issues at hand and what could it be hunger, mm -hmm. you know, wetness, um, yeah. or just woken up and needs to be helped to get back to sleep. So if they both approach it um, systematically, then dad can address those issues. If it's a feeding issue, bring it to mom, mom feeds, gives it back to dad, dad can put the baby back to sleep. And both parents can go back to sleep a lot quicker than when it's one parent or the other. And most likely when it's dad's shift, guaranteed uh, mom is getting woken up during dad's shift. <laughs> what, I, what I've heard from some parents is, I mean, he never wakes up. He doesn't hear them anyway. So it's his shift, but I can hear him and I'm having to get up anyway. 
Yeah, because dad doesn't hear all the, like I said, the kind of, babies are really noisy in the first few months of life, especially the first few weeks of life. And dads just don't hear that. And so if I'll, even if parents don't want to split bedrooms, I'll say, put the baby on the dad's side of the bed. And so dad can respond um, when it's just the kind of uh -uh stuff if needed. With with an elbow to the ribs from mom. (laughs) You mentioned the, the, recommendation for the baby to sleep in the the room with the the parent is that a SIDS issue yes yeah so um the the recommendation on um to decrease the likelihood of SIDS SIDS risk exists up to a year of life um uh, decreases significantly at six months but um markedly at, at a year of life so the recommendation is to keep them in the room um, for at least six months, if not a full year. And they say that the breathing patterns of the adult um, help regulate the breathing pattern of the child and thus um, decreases the likelihood. So um doesn't matter which parent it is, if it's the dad <laughs> or the mm-hmm. mom. So if mom goes... A breathing, a breathing parent, yes. Exactly, yeah. Is that an audible thing where the, where the infant or the, the child can hear? Is that... I'm not sure if it's uh, an audible thing or just sort of um, they just like they sense the the other parent there and are able to regulate themselves based on the the mm. other parent. Can we come back to this early childhood um, stuff, early childhood sleep, and and back up back up for a minute and just talk more generally about sleep for a minute? I read recently that a a quarter to a third of my lifespan. Will be will be spent asleep. I mean, it's a very significant portion of my life. I've I've calculated the number of years I think I'll live, the number of days you know I think I'll live. Cut that, you know, knock off a quarter of that. I've been asleep. That that's a significant amount of time. Um, why why do we sleep, and what all is going on in our body when we sleep? That's a great question. And a lot of that research has been um, done recently and, and kind of been discovered. People have been looking for answers to that question for quite some time. And recently with all the new imagery, they've discovered that during sleep, uh, the brain shrinks a little bit and the CFF, the spinal fluid that um, goes around the brain is what is allowed access to um, eliminate waste. So, um, you know, the the rest of the body has the lymphatic system, which eliminates waste, um, but the brain has what they call the glymphatic system, and it's during sleep in which that gets activated. So uh, the brain shrinks a little bit, the um, fluid's allowed to move more freely and collect the the waste, the trash that's built up in the brain, most likely um, proteins like the beta amyloid proteins that are responsible for Alzheimer's. Those are what are cleaned out during um, sleep. And when sleep is fragmented, um, the brain has to, you know, enlarge back to its full size so that it can do whatever it needs to do, you know, for the reason you woke up. Um, And so if that process is fragmented often, um, then it decreases the um, brain's ability to clean itself. And those proteins can get left behind. So it increases the likelihood of dementia and Alzheimer's. What point of sleep is that happening? Is that like happening at deep sleep, at REM sleep, light sleep? Kind of when, when do you see? Deep sleep. Deep sleep, which is, and we spend less time in deep sleep than all the other sleeps, right? We do. Okay. So you're talking about a cleaning process and it sounds like it's a neurological cleaning of some kind where 
proteins are being removed. Are there also changes happening to the brain? Um, for instance, I often tell my kids that they need their sleep because it'll make them smarter. It, is something good happening to the brain as well as, as th bad things being taken away or good things being added? Yeah. So I always tell parents if during sleep in which all of those neuronal connections get solidified, especially in children. So all day long they're spent, um, you know, they're um, getting input, sensory input, vision, hearing, sound, um, touch. And it's during sleep that they sort of make those connections and learning uh, happens. So a lot of times sleep is seen as a sign of weakness, especially in pediatrics. It's like, oh, your kid's got to go home for a nap or you've got to stop this music class or stop this activity. You can't go to this birthday party because of you got to take your kid home for a nap. Um, but it's during sleep that everything that they saw, felt, heard, touched throughout the day gets those connections get made. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's super important to ensure that um, especially kids and, and adults as well, but especially kids are getting um, the adequate amount of sleep so that those connections can get made. And I always tell parents too, it's not like kids won't ever learn to read, write, walk, or talk. Of course they will, but they may not do it at their full potential if they're not getting the sleep that's required for their developmental age. Not only that, um, I know for, for, I would imagine that this is true for kids at some level, once they start to develop more cognitive functions, like when we are sleep deprived, we, we, our executive functioning is, is greatly reduced. So any complex task that we need to be, that we need to perform that involves decision-making or working memory or problem solving or focus, um, that's greatly diminished yeah, yeah. in, in. So by, by sleeping, I guess, by having our brain washed, I've never heard that before, that description of, of what the brain shrinking. I'm like, I'm picturing some, some like sci-fi movie right now with, with a brain in a, in a glass jar, just kind of shrinking and being washed. How you so, lost those eight IQ points. It is. And then I mean, it, my brain was not washed sufficiently. Yeah. It's hard, man. In the first month that, that's, that's a hard month often for parents. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, are there ways in which uh, sleep functions differently at different developmental stages? I'm thinking about teens and often how, how, how many hours teens need to sleep, it seems like. You know, they, they sleep later, they go to bed later. They, so cumulatively, cumulatively <laughs> they, they sleep, tend to sleep more. Um, does sleep function differently at different stages? It seems like teens sleep more, but they're... Um their sleep onset is just delayed so that they are able to stay awake for longer periods of time. So whereas most um, preschool and elementary aged kids are going to bed around eight or nine, teens can stay up till 10, 11, midnight, um, but then they also need to wake up uh, later. And because of school start times, they're unable to do that. And uh, it impacts their um, learning capabilities at school and their ability to focus and um, it impacts them negatively. So there's still, you know, the requirement is still about nine hours, eight to nine hours of overnight sleep, but their sleep onset is delayed. So they need to go to mm -hmm. sleep later and wake up later. Um, and I know with the pandemic, a lot of kids are uh, doing homeschooling and they can start at uh, their own time. Um, which has probably impacted teens in a more positive way. 
um, because they're able to set their own schedule and sleep in later. Well, Matt and I have talked about this, um, and I was actually having a conversation with one of my son's teachers about this, that there's been some, some municipalities, some, some, um, school systems that have actually started school time changing from like seven 30 to nine. And they saw a marked increase in testing scores just because kids weren't being woken up. Yeah. There's a whole movement, um, that's trying to get schools to change their start times, at least for teens, not so much for elementary aged kids, but for teens, uh, and some, some, uh, like you said, some counties, some parishes have uh, accomplished that and others, there's a, a big fight because uh, everyone's impacted, right? The school bus drivers, or yeah. um, they usually want to get the kids to school so that they can go on to their other day jobs that are probably higher paying. And um, so they want to get everyone to school around the same time. Um, but I think if um, people yeah. work together and realize the benefit of the teens getting more sleep, um, and making those changes in the the routine and schedules, it it will impact them in a more positive way. But it's a it's got to be a whole community. Yeah, that's something we saw during the pandemic is that school or lack of school plays this really important infrastructural role in parents working. It's not just about educating the kids; it's about allowing parents to work. And so when you start changing start times, for instance, or, or release times or half day times, or, you know, whatever change you're going to make in the schedule based upon some really important aspect of child development or academic learning, it has all of these ripple effects in, in, in terms of how society functions that, uh, you know, the pandemic really revealed. So these are not, that's not an easy issue or uh, these are, these are certainly complex things to accomplish. Um, I was thinking about, um, getting my own kids to sleep. And when, when they were very little, you know, I knew very, when they were very little, I knew very little about kids and sleep. Um, I, I, I know that you have kids. You're a sleep expert. How did it go? How did it go teaching your kids to sleep? Well, that's kind of why I got into it because, uh, once I had kids and, um, realized very quickly that, you know, all my training as a pediatrician, med school, residency, um, none of it prepares you to be a parent. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm a pediatrician. I'm, you know, um, babysat kids. I'm a woman. I've, I've got this parenting thing in the bag. And then I realized, like I said, pretty quickly that it's it's difficult for everybody. So um, when I started having difficulties with my kids who are now 12 and 10, um, and great sleepers, I realized that I need to learn more. And, you know, um, getting on the internet and talking to friends and family, it proved to be really contradictory. One person says, you know, you have to co-sleep with your child um, to develop that bond. And another says, if you co-sleep, your baby will die. You know, one thing says breastfeed on demand. One thing says breastfeed on a schedule. And it was hard to know yeah. what to do. And so I devoted a significant amount of time into um, getting into that research to figure out what the right thing to do is um, that's like scientifically based and um, followed my parenting practices. And I put that into practice with um, uh, my own kids and saw that it worked. And so that gave me the confidence to teach uh, my patients at work. And I started doing consultations on my lunch break. And when those families were successful with this method, I left private practice, which has now been six years, 
ago uh, to start this business and do it full time so that I could teach other families um, the the benefits of having kids who sleep well because then they are just better eaters, they're better um, behaved, they're happier, and it makes parenting a lot easier. And parenting is not easy, but it, if you have kids who are sleeping well, uh, it definitely makes a big difference. Amen. T- take a minute though, and, and say a little bit more about your consultation work. What, what do you What do you do, um, and and how's it going? So it's it's going well. So what I do is I meet with families, and um, prior to our meeting, they fill out a very extensive sleep questionnaire that um, gives me a lot of information on um, what the child's schedule is, um, what they're feeding them, how often, um, what their schedule is like, what the parents' work schedules, um, other caregivers, siblings, like all of that is um, taken into account when I make a sleep plan for them. Um, So after they fill that out, we have a uh, consultation um, where I will um, basically give them the plan on how to get their child sleeping better. And most of the time, the problem, the most common issue is that um, parents get into a um, sort of a habit of either feeding the baby to sleep or rocking them to sleep or sleeping with them. And then um, it gets to a point where they can no longer continue that and the child doesn't learn how to fall asleep independently. So um, we talk about how to um, gradually get the child falling asleep independently and staying asleep in a very gradual fashion so that um, it isn't stressful for the child um, nor the parents. So is there, I'm curious, is there at some point where obviously someone's coming to you and their child is already maybe a little bit older and has developed some bad habits, like in an ideal world, at what point does, do you have the kid be independent to go to sleep on their own at some point, right? As, as an infant, there is value to maybe rocking the child to sleep or, or am I wrong? Well, so rocking is all, you know, fine. Um, of course you want to offer that comfort and reassurance and bond, but when you rock the baby to sleep, um, then when the child wakes up at the end of their sleep cycles and you're no longer there and they're in the crib alone, it creates a lot of anxiety and um, mistrust and distrust for the, for the infant. Um, and it, um, they'll cry out and the mom has to go in and redo that same, create that same environment to get the child to fall asleep again. And it may be fine in the initial stages when they're um, newborns because they go back to sleep pretty easily and quickly. But once the child develops more of a sense of self and um, separation anxiety, it doesn't become so easy. And I tell parents all the time, like, imagine if you fell asleep on the sofa every single night, but you woke up in your bedroom every single morning you'd be a little freaked out, like what happened, who moved me, how did I get here? So the same thing for the child, if they're falling asleep in your arms and then waking up alone in the crib and they wake up at the end of the sleep cycle, which is normal to do, um, and even adults do that, you look around, kind of go back to sleep and don't even remember that you woke up. But for a baby where that situation is no longer there and that parent isn't there, it's a little frightening and they will cry and you have to recreate that same environment to get them back to sleep. So um, it is important to teach them to fall asleep independently, but you can still cuddle and rock and hug and all that, but don't do it until they're fully asleep because then we will expect that when they wake up overnight. We're kind of now talking about uh, early childhood sleep or, or newborn sleep or, or um, 
you know, infant sleep. We, we are doing a, uh, a series, a short series coming up on the podcast where we're talking to parents who are, who are having their first child. So people do, who don't have a child yet, but who are very soon to have their first child. And so we, we will have some listeners very soon that are very interested in helping kids learn to sleep. I, I've, I've said this thing for a while. I don't know exactly where I got it. I'm probably wrong. But I, I, I have this quote that I say, falling to sleep and falling back to sleep is one of the first skills we teach our kids. What do you, what do you think about that? Like um, one of the first things that as parents we need to be able to, to convey to our kids is how to, how to go to sleep and how to go back to sleep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And a lot of parents are like, well, you know, they're babies. Of course, they should be born knowing yeah. how to sleep. They're born knowing how to eat. They're born knowing how to sleep. But it is a skill set because even though a baby knows how to suckle, they st you still have to learn how to have the baby suckle on you. And you have to learn how to suck, have the baby suckle on you. Like it's a, it's a, a learned process for both, um, both parties. And so sleep is the same thing. Yes, the baby knows how to fall asleep. But it's the the key is is picking up on those cues. So the baby is telling you when they're sleepy. They're telling you when they're hungry. Um, but a lot of times parents don't know um, what's what, especially if they're new parents. It's like, well, it cries when it's hungry. It cries when it's sleepy. I don't know which is which. So I'm just going to try to feed every single time. And so sometimes the child feeds and feeds well. And so you're like, okay, that's what it was. The child was hungry. And sometimes you put the child to the breast or give it a bottle and it feeds a little bit and falls asleep. So then you're like, well, was it hungry or was it sleepy? I don't know. But you do that enough. And then the baby learns that, okay, every time before I go to sleep, I go to the breast or every time before I go to sleep, I get a bottle. So then it makes that connection. And you just then taught the baby that association. And so then when you try to eliminate it because a grandmother or, or a dad even tries to put the baby to sleep without the breast and the baby is quite yeah. upset, dad's like, see, I can't do this. It's on you. And then mom, it ends up becoming mom's responsibility exclusively. They do have those devices that dads can strap on that are like, like a strap on breast. Have you seen those? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the benefit of that. Um, I don't. I don't yeah. hear her recommending the, that. <laughs> that. I, I think it's fine I if you know it's a. It's dad wants to participate in the feeding, um, but I think it's just it's fine to do it uh, with a bottle. <laughs> I. I. Um, on a similar topic, I do hear parents complain a lot about their kids' sleep, and I hear parents describe all kinds of links that they'll go to to try to get their kid to sleep. Um, you know, they'll complain like in a normal couples counseling session, this will come up as like, hey, do you guys snuggle at night? No, we don't snuggle at night because and then they'll tell me some story about their kids sleeping. And it's like, you know, we we lay we lay down with our kids in their beds until they fall asleep and then we fall asleep. And then, you know, we don't wake up till 4 a.m. or uh, we lay down with our kids in their bed. But now we're just sleeping on the floor in their room or um, there, we've, we've taught our kid to make a pallet in our room. So now we have another guest in our room or, or, so you hear parents like they don't intend to do any of this stuff. This is never plan a, this is like plan D, but Absolutely. this is where it's gotten to. And, and it's, it's, it's recursive in that once it starts, the baby gets some positive feedback. Then the parent gets the positive feedback of the sleep. Then the kid expects it the next night that, you know, and it just keeps happening. 
you see, I'm sure you see all of that kind of stuff in your work. Yeah, every single scenario you mentioned is is definitely um, what I see on a day, daily basis. Um, and you know, it's not the parents' fault. Um, I always go back to um, pregnancy when the mom is walking around all day long, the baby is being lulled and rocked to sleep. And then when she lays down at night, that's usually when the baby's the most active. So their days and nights are already mixed up and they're born thinking that they're supposed to be rocked and lulled to sleep. So when, you know, you see it all the time and when you get a hold of baby, it just seems natural to start like lulling it and rocking it, you know, and then they fall asleep. So you're like, all right, that works. So I'm going to keep this going. Um, and that's all fine in the in the beginning um, weeks, but what happens is then the baby starts to, you know, whatever you do to the child or for the child is what the child thinks is supposed to happen. So if you're constantly rocking it and then it falls asleep, it, it starts connecting the two and making that association and thinking it's supposed to happen every time. And once the baby gets to be 10, 12, 15, 20 pounds, it gets to be a lot more difficult to continue that. Um, and so then the parent says, all right, I've had enough of this rocking. I'm going to try to just put him down. And the kid's like, I'm not having it. You've been doing this rocking for my whole life. Um, you can't just stop. And that's when, you know, parents start trying all kinds of other things to um, and get the child to sleep in other ways. So they come out of the womb, selfish little creatures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not the parent's fault. Um, but And it takes a little bit of training and undoing. And that seems um, harsh to do, you know, to a, a newborn. But And I'm definitely not suggesting just putting them in a room and letting them cry. Um, but what I'm saying is that you have to sort of untrain them um, with that behavior. So you still rock, you still cuddle, you still comfort, but then allowing them to fall asleep independently is um from the get-go is is uh benefit it sounds like the harder it sounds like the harder work is training the parents and not the oh, kids. absolutely i always call it parent training instead of child yeah. are you familiar with that uh documentary that's called buck about buck brenneman the horse trainer no tell me about it famous horse trainer out west um i recently heard that he was sick and not doing so well but i hope he's doing well uh wonderful documentary buck um, where he teaches people how to um, train their horses in ways that are very loving and supportive and not not breaking the horse, but really gently training the horse. And he talks he talks a lot about that his work is really about training the horse owners, the 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 horse people, that the horses generally are just horses and are fine and will respond to the right kind of correction. Uh, but his job, even though it looks like he's horse training is really people training. Yeah. That's exactly I, what I do. <laughs> what do you hear yourself saying a lot to new parents or parents to be, you know, they're, they have, they don't have problems yet. Just kind of your initial advice to like, we're, we're about to take on this job of, of raising a newborn. What do you hear yourself saying? I always say be on the same page with your partner because that's the thing that breaks, I think, uh, parents apart when it comes to all all things in relation to raising kids, not just uh, with issues with sleep. Because if um, mom has one sort of ideal of how to raise the child and dad has a separate one, it's um, it makes it difficult. So getting on the same page um, about sleep, where they want the child to sleep, 
Um, who's going to get up at night when the baby wakes up? Um, and, you know, feeding practices. Um, just being on the same page. Yeah, being on yeah. the same page. And that, and that the baby uh, doesn't intend to do this, but can split the parents is, is, is really powerful in the home of getting adults to do things that they didn't think they would do or certainly not do them un, in a united fashion. So the, the, the parents have to really be intentional about staying on the same page. Absolutely. And, you know, you may go into the relationship with an idea of um, this is the way we're going to raise our kids. And then once the baby comes, it, it can go down a whole different um rabbit yeah. hole. So it's it's important to keep those lines of communication open so that as changes happen and as feelings come up, you can you can change, you can still be on the same page and come to a resolution or a uh, compromise. Do you find that parents are more pliable with baby number two? Oh, absolutely. Like if they come to, yeah. Yeah. Either they're so far apart that, you know, it's like you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Or um, they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to get crazy again uh, with the second yeah. one, especially the third one. It's like, you know, <laughs> they eat stuff off the floor and nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> their, their bed can just be a sleeping bag somewhere in the house. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. They're a lot, the third babies, second and third babies are usually a lot more viable. This is probably, I think, a controversial topic. I'm not sure. Um, I haven't really read about it. Uh, lately, but what are the current thoughts on co-sleeping or, or the, the, the baby and then the, the, the toddler and then the young child sleeping in the parent's bed, not just in the room, but in the bed? Yeah. So the AAP says uh, room sharing is a requirement helps decrease the likelihood of SIDS, but they don't recommend bed sharing. But I am okay with bed sharing um, after a year of life if it works for the family. And a lot of parents are like, it works for me. We all sleep and it's great. But even if it works great in the beginning, I feel like it ends up unraveling um, either the parent's relationship or the relationship with the child eventually. Because um, a child has to go to bed at 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Um, and the parents aren't usually ready to go to bed at that time. So if they've gotten into a co-sleeping situation where the child cannot go to sleep without the parents, and the parents are not willing to go to sleep at seven or eight o'clock, then um, the child ends up staying up later and later. And so then they get into the state of sleep debt. And if the parents are uh, working from home or have a flexible schedule, then they can stay you know, asleep till nine or 10 or allow the child to stay asleep till later into the morning. But most parents don't have that type of situation. Mm. And they're having to wake up earlier. And because the baby's so connected to them or the child, the toddler, um, they end up waking up. So they're, they become on an adult sleep schedule of eight or, you know, seven or eight hours of overnight sleep instead of 12 to 13 hours of, you know, and, and the least, um, I'm okay with 10 and a half hours overnight for certain kids, but, you know, definitely not seven or eight hours of overnight sleep. So that's the issue that I find with co-sleeping is that um, the kids don't end up getting the number of hours of sleep that they need overnight. That's, that's interesting that that's interesting that the problem may develop in in terms of a sleep debt for the kid and then the ramifications of that on the on the family that, yeah that, that's the fun, that's the 
how that problem functions. That's interesting. And um, then the time that the parent has um, spending time alone without the child present um, becomes limited because then, you know, it usually ends up the mom's like, okay, fine, I'll go to sleep with the kid earlier. And then they sneak yeah. out to have some time with um, dad or their partner. Um, and then, you know, that may work in the beginning, but then the child, again, like we were talking about earlier, realizes that the parent is no longer there, wakes up, has to find the other parent, and then yeah. their, their time becomes limited overnight that they get, you know, to spend that adult time and reconnect. Okay. A, a confession from couples counseling is that I, I rarely see co-sleeping work very long for the family. I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm open to it. Um, if it works for the family, I just, I see it oftentimes six or seven years down the road where it, it didn't work or it, it caused other kinds of problems. Um, and, and it, it, it may be, I don't know, but it, it may just be that co-sleeping works in some cultures, but it, it doesn't work in our culture very well of parents not having a lot of time together except at the close of the day, the very end of the day. And so when there's a kid in, in bed, uh, that messes up that connecting time at the end of the day. And so cult, maybe, maybe culturally, the way that we run our lives and the way that our society functions, there's just not adequate time for parents to connect as spouses outside of that end of daytime, but I, I don't see it work very well in, in my setting. No, I, I don't think it does. And I, it pushes, it makes the dad feel like the mom is putting the child first uh, over the, him and the relationship. And uh, some parents, some dads are okay with it. And, but a lot of them aren't. And like you said, it, it may be, uh, fine in the moment, but a lot of times it ends up um, not so well for the couple. So can we shift and talk about that for a little bit? Um, what what issues do you see around sleep that affect the, the the spousal relationship or the couple relationship? How does how does uh, we'll start at the kid level? How does poor sleep at the kid level sh- cause issues for the parents? I'm sure you hear about that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've seen, you know, I've heard had parents after they've gone through the program um, and their child is sleeping, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, our marriage was on the verge of collapse or divorce and we didn't even realize it until now where now we're able to reconnect. So what happens in, initially is, you know, it seems like, okay, the baby's born, mom's doing a lot of the um, caretaking and so dad's stepping back, um, especially if mom is nursing, dad's like, well, I can't do that. And um um, when dad tries to help uh, the baby, you know, if he fusses or the, um, the, the dad isn't able to connect and, and really help the child and mom sometimes can be overbearing with that and say, okay, well, let me just take him and nurse him because I know that's the problem and I can fix it. It starts putting a, a divide there in um, what the dad can do or can't do. And so then mom initially is like grateful that she can help the baby, but then eventually starts to become resentful that she's the only one that is caring for the child and the dad isn't really helping, but he's like, there's nothing I can do because every time the baby needs something, it it needs to go to the breast, not just for feeding, but for comforting and for sleeping and everything else. And so then that starts putting a a divide in um, the parents from within the early stages. And then a a lot of times that then leads to co-sleeping, 
and dad ends up sleeping on the couch or sleeping in a spare bedroom. So it puts a divide in their relationship in that way. And then it, it just continues. And a lot of times parents who um, uh, have co-sleeping practices, um, you know, they, they think, okay, well, the kid's not going to be in our bed forever. It's not going to need us forever. Eventually they'll um, sleep in their own room and they most likely will. But I feel like that divide is is put into place for the the parent and it makes it hard to come back from that. And in that process, there may be a second child or a third child. There's a, This is a, an awful saying in some ways, but the, there's an old saying in family therapy that the first child is the first affair for, oh, one, wow. of the, for one of the parents, typically the, the mother in that. And to just unpack that a little bit, to soften the blow of that a little bit, but um, you know, culturally for us, the mom takes on the mom identity, the parent identity so strongly while the dad is still kind of part-time parent and part-time spouse. So there, the dad is often still championing the spouse stuff. Let's do spouse stuff together. Let's be a, let's be a couple. And the mom, you know, gets, gets really pigeonholed and stuck further into parenting. Like the, all of the all of the responsibilities start to fall on her and she's going to pick up those pieces because she's a loving, capable mother. And, and then the divide just continues between the two of them. And pretty soon the kid is literally between them and the, the mom is partially enjoying it. The dad is hating it. Pretty soon the dad is evicted to the kid's bedroom. Now the kid is sleeping in the dad's spot and the dad's sleeping in the kid's spot. And it's, it's like the first affair. Yeah. And it hurts the dad's egos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, most most people don't like to be replaced in 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 their spots in life, for sure. In their beds, particularly. They don't like to be replaced. Sounds like you should have a couples counselor on staff. <laughs> Sounds like a couples counselor should have a sleep specialist. Uh, <laughs> yes. As, yeah. As it's, a partner. Yeah. Yeah. It's the root of so many, I would say, so many... Um, couples issues. Yeah. Yeah. I would too. And I, as a couples therapist, I can, I, I can confirm that sleep comes up as part of the discussion. A lot of times, not, not as, not typically as the primary problem, but just as a problem that's, that's always present back there in the background in some form or fashion. Yeah. It, it, just amplifies, it amplifies whatever problems were present. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, having kids. We can get, we can get psychotic and crazy and emotionally disturbed and, and look pretty bad with, with just a, a you know, a, just a few interruptions to our normal sleep schedule. Yeah. And so it's, you know, parenting is hard enough as it is. And then to add sleep deprivation on top of that, uh, it used to be used as a form of torture, you know, uh, right. sleep deprivation, um, keeping people, uh, awake for days at a time. Um, and a, a woman who uh, is not sleeping well is pretty much walking around drunk. It equates to having a, a blood alcohol level um, that is, you know, um, that can serve some jail time <laughs> uh, when they're sleep deprived. <laughs> there was a, a, a study, I think Duke did it, where they, um, they monitored the brain activity of people who were sleep deprived. And what they found was the, um, 
the there was more activity in analyzing the areas of positive outcomes versus negative outcomes so that people who are sleep deprived tend to take on riskier behavior because they don't evaluate risk properly. So we look from a from a financial standpoint, we look at man if we have to make big financial decisions while we're sleep deprived, we might not make the best decision because we're not taking into account um, all the risk or uh, just the the impact and judgment. Yeah. Um, we're more impulsive. And that's why we'll spend for kids, uh, for teens specifically, because they're already in this state of impulsivity and (laughs) poor decision-making and risk-taking behaviors. And you add in poor sleep on top of that, especially with all the electronics these days, you know, and access to that. Um, So even when they are sleepy, they're getting all this input uh, from the blue light from the devices that's, uh, you know, instead of their melatonin um, levels going up and continuing to let them know that they're sleepy so that they will go to sleep, they're um, not getting that input and uh, staying awake for longer periods of time. So they become more impulsive um, and participate in more risk-taking behaviors as well. As a um, as a couples therapist, and, and I would say even more broadly, just in the world of mental health, I've, I've valued sleep for a long time. I, I, I read studies about the, the impact of sleep and adequate sleep on our mental health and probably even more conversely, the, the impact of uh, interrupted sleep on our mental health and how, how adverse that is. And so as a dad, I've been a little bit crazy about kids' sleep and making sure that they're getting sleep. Um, they all, our kids went to bed earlier than most of our friends' kids. Uh, they would be like, what? Your kid goes to bed at what time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, even even on the weekends, we try to maintain similar sleep schedules. We we are careful about sleepovers. We know that sometimes when they go to sleepovers, they're going to stay up till like ungodly hours, yeah. like 4, 4 a.m. And then they come home and they're a wreck. You know, mm-hmm. they're just behaviorally and emotionally a wreck. Um, we we monitor their screen time. We cut off the internet to their devices at certain times. You know, I have my router set up, so it turns off at certain times. Um, So I've been pretty um, careful about sleep and tried to monitor the sleep of my home. I've been a little bit fastidious about it, some might say, and a little bit uh, careful. Am Am I being too crazy or is sleep like really one of the superfoods of life that if we if we embrace it will help us it is you're not being crazy i'm the same crazy and i i i worry about my kids and their friendships because uh when kids come over here for a sleepover the latest they they're allowed to stay up at 10 and that's like pushing it in my house <laughs> um so no uh, it's so important because yes that it you see the impacts to their behavior their mood their um just they're even they're eating the next day when they haven't slept well. So I wish everybody was that crazy and I wish it wasn't crazy. I wish that was the norm. I wish everybody said, um, prioritize sleep, every family prioritize sleep for their kids, especially in as well as for them, because if they're prioritizing it for their, um, themselves, they'll prioritize it for their kids. And then everyone is a, is happier and healthier as a result. So I wish that, um, that's my hope for, for more families to be crazy like you. <laughs> it, I, I, thanks for saying that, that I'm not crazy. I appreciate that. And no, no, she said you're crazy. She wants more people to be crazy. Like more you. crazy. Yeah. You know, we, 
we learned part of that in, you know, in New Orleans, sometimes the power goes out for a few days. And so when the power's out, we noticed that our family slept differently. And then we also take us a yearly camping trip where we're away, away from screen time and or screens and devices and TV. And we noticed that on the camping trips, people sleep differently. We go to bed earlier and we kind of wake up more naturally instead of with an, with an alarm. And so that really inspired us to just think about what naturally does our body need for sleep? And let's try to, let's try to protect that at home. Yeah. And the, the way to do that is to eliminate the screen time, at least uh, get rid of it at an hour before it's time to go to sleep. So when the sun goes down, it triggers to the brain that it's, it's time to sleep. The melatonin levels rise and you get sleepy, but we all turn, when the sun goes down, we turn on our lights, we turn on the TVs, we turn on, you know, um, even the, the lights in the um, light bulbs can trigger wakefulness. And there's actually a, a lot of people doing work recently on changing those light bulbs so that the, um, as, so it mimics more of sunlight and um, the, the blue light waves from daytime start decreasing and become more yellow or amber light waves as it becomes later into the evening so that your brain can do what it needs to, to get ready for sleep. So, um, turning, but we need that hour. We need that hour before. Yeah. Yeah. We need, well, we need that hour before sleep to like, to binge watch Cobra Kai and (laughs) all of our other favorite Netflix shows. I I mean, so you're you're, hard. It's so hard. Um, our kids rob us of our intelligence and Dr. Vias robs us of our joy. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) This is, a, I went to a conference once, there was like 10,000 financial advisors and the keynote speaker was a sleep specialist. And um, th- there was this recognition, as y'all are saying, that peak performance, if we're going to perform at our best as professionals, as athletes or whatever we are, then sleep is important for for all the factors that you've discussed here. So um, I know that this is a very valuable topic for our listeners to hear. So um, I really, really appreciate you taking time to come share. And this is, this is a really good example. Uh, as y'all were talking about sleep kind of being a, an ever present thing in, in counseling, Matt, where it's behind the scenes, either the lack of sleep, the, the fragmented sleep. It's kind of like what we talk about money, where money often isn't the, the main driver of, of maybe a disagreement, but it's fuel to the fire. It makes every disagreement worse is what it seems. And, and lack of sleep seems, uh, Seems similar. So this is definitely something that um, if you want to uh, uh, getting investing in in learning how to sleep, getting your kids to sleep is definitely an investment in in your relationships. Um, Dr. V, is anything you want to close out? How can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on uh, the social media channels on Instagram and Facebook as Sleepless in NOLA. And the best way is to reach out on the website. It's uh, sleeplessinnola.com. And uh, families can go on and make a free 15 minute appointment and we'll chat about their specific situation. And I'll give them a little uh, rundown on how I can help them and um, set up a possible appointment. And we'll be sure to include all your, all your uh, social media links in the uh, show notes, Matt, any, any closing thoughts here at uh, you know, early in a new year, I would say make a commitment to get more sleep. It it's not, maybe not an immediate uh, change in your relationship like the next day, but within a week, you'll, you'll 
the world will look brighter. Your spouse will look better. Your kids will be more behaved and everybody will be happier. Get more sleep. Yep. More, yeah. more sleep you get, the better financial, yep, the better financial decisions you make as well. Dr. Viaz, again, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, for all of our loyal listeners, we appreciate you. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you're, if you have a friend who's got young children or are about to have their first baby, share this episode with them. Cause I think this is as a, as a parent of three, uh, I wish I would have heard some of this stuff 16 years ago for sure. So don't forget to invest in your relationships. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.